But what happens in chapter 5, what happens, in, and I said before, in, in, you really need to look at the book of Acts, it's a story being told. And I preached through the first two chapters of Acts in, in the summer. And then I said, you know, then starting on Wednesday nights, chapter 3, we're going. I've tried, to, I've tried to help you understand. This is a story. Luke is telling the story of the Christian movement as it exploded and it grew and all the things that happened, the good and the bad, the victories, the defeats, the struggles, that people die. I mean, it, it is a compelling saga. And along the way, to move it along, he has these things, kind of transitions. We'll actually see one uh, to start off with kind of what we're doing today. But chapter 4 ends with one, introduces Barnabas, and then, then, then what you begin to see in chapter 5. Before chapter 5, everything's been cool, everything's been good, even though they had to go before the, you know, Peter and John, before the Jewish ruler council, there's no issues. But things begin to change. What you begin to see over the next few chapters are struggles. You see internal struggles. And then from the internal, you begin to see the pressure from the outside. You see, we'll see in a few weeks, you know, we, you know last week Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit and dropped dead. Um, we'll see, you know, in um, two weeks, we'll see the struggle that uh, of giving, that they're helping minister to people and yet Church, church members, you know, actually it was the ministering to the widows, and there's a dispute among the widows. Not just the women. I mean, you make it sound like the women who were disputed, but in many cases, it was the, the, the Gentile, I mean, the, the Greek-speaking Jews and all who identified that concerned that their, their widows weren't getting enough stuff, and so they had to deal with that. And then you, you see the whole thing with Stephen, the persecution that broke out after the death of Stephen, and then Paul begins his persecution. I mean, it's just this movement of struggle. And you begin to see that here. And you begin to see something else that's really fascinating and interesting. Is you begin to see in the Jewish world, remember, Christianity is right now almost exclusively Jewish. I mean, there's a few Gentile proselytes coming or God fear. Sunday, I'm preaching about one from Acts chapter 10, Cornelius' conversion in, in, in my series on being human, being me. But, but, but right now, it's just Jewish. And if funny things begin to happen, we're going to see that today. The people who are responsible for the death of Jesus are beginning to fracture over this whole Christian movement. The Sadducees and the Pharisees are not going to be seen eye to eye. Well, later on, we'll see at one point, well, I don't know how far we'll get the whole, over the year. Paul, actually we'll see it at the end, end of Acts, Paul leverages his connection with the Pharisees and the belief of the resurrection to get out of a bind he's in and cause a rift between the Sadducees and Pharisees. We, don't, we have to remember, the Pharisees and Sadducees did not like each other. Their dislike of Jesus brought them together. The enemy of my enemy is my friend, but that didn't last long. And once Jesus is out of the picture, they begin to fracture. And what you'll begin to see tonight is you'll begin to see, and we'll see it more next week, the Sadducees began to really persecute the church, but the Pharisees begin to break away from that. And we'll see that more next week. And part of the reason is simply this. The Pharisees believed in a lot of the things that Jesus believed in. I was taught decades ago that one of the reasons Jesus was so hard on the Pharisees and had very little to do with the Sadducees is because the Pharisees were the ones who were closest to the people. They were close to the truth. And they rejected him. They had turned the Jewish faith into a legalistic system. 
And that's what he was there to break. And they wouldn't break from that system. They'd be part of that system. And, and you see the, the struggles. But here's the thing. Pharisees believed in resurrection. That's what Paul would use later on with them against the Sadducees. They killed Jesus and thought he was dead. You know, and, and the Jewish ruling council, especially the high priests, and, and the high priests were the, the Sadducees. They were all connected to the high priests, not the Pharisees. But they made sure that the disciples couldn't steal the body of Jesus. I talk about this all the time in the Matthew, chapter, chapter 27, 28. So they guaranteed that the disciples couldn't steal the body of Jesus. And then when, when Jesus was raised back to life, they said the disciples stole his body. But the Pharisees were like, couldn't have. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them were like, well, that ain't happening, brother. Because we guaranteed he could, and there's an empty tomb. And now these guys are saying they saw Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. Some of them began to believe. They began to think, well, this might really be true. Because there is no body in that tomb, and no one knows where it is. And we do believe in resurrection. And maybe he is the Messiah. And we know from the book of Acts and the writings of Paul there were Pharisees who became followers of Jesus. In fact, probably, when we see the problem that the early church had with the, the believers who would insist that Gentiles be circumcised and follow the law and all that, they mostly had came out of the Pharisees' branch. I mean, the Pharisees came over and they were highly, they were still legalistic. You can't get the legalism out of you. Some of you know that. Some of you are so legalistic, you can't get it out of you. Some of you are so non-legalistic, you can't get it out of you either. But this is, this is the struggle. And we now begin to see this take place. So I, I know we read the books and, and we don't always understand the backstory and the background. And I get it. It's hard to know that. I, you know, I spend my life studying this. It's different. But I want you to understand that this whole book, what Luke is writing, is he's writing a story full of backstory and plot twists and things that are happening. All of which advance Christianity. So after the death of Ananias and Sapphira in verse 11, it says fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. I can imagine, can you imagine a couple of you, you know, come up one Sunday and I bring you up and I ask you something and you don't tell the truth and you just drop dead. Now I'll be honest. I didn't say anything. You're anticipating. You're anticipating me say there are days that I dream about that. Okay. You're hoping it's not you I dream about it with, but that's fine. That's fine. You're on the finance committee. For now, you're good. Like, I just think, God, that'd be so awesome. They would fear me forever. Verse 12 begins a summation. At the hands of the apostles. These are the, these are the 11. Well, and add the 12th guy in there. Notice, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord on Solomon's portico. They were going out to the porch. They kept, they're going back to the temple. They're going to the temple all the time, and they're healing, and they're doing these signs and wonders, and this is important. By the way, there are four times in the Bible that you see a great amount of miracles. Two in the Old Testament, two in the New Testament. I've shared this with you before. I'll share them again. In the Old Testament, Moses, lots of miracles. Elijah and Elijah, 
lots of miracles. That's it. That, I'm not saying there aren't any other times that no miracles occur. I'm saying that's the focus of them. In the New Testament, Jesus. And then early in the church, the apostles. These signs were important because they showed and demonstrated that, that the power that Jesus had. Remember, Jesus doing these miracles showed that he was God. Now, these guys aren't doing the miracles to show they're God, he's God, but they're doing it in the name of Jesus. They're linking what they do to Christ in his name and in his character. Now, eventually, the miraculous will cease. I don't, don't do that. I, I, I'm the, I am a, if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be such a skeptic. I am still a skeptic. Don't believe in aliens. I don't believe in conspiracies. Debbie could believe in every conspiracy you could imagine. I would show her how illogical it was, and she would just say, you have no faith. <laughs> what? And when I hear people, oh, so-and-so, faith healer doing miracles, I'm like, no, they're not. They're conning you, taking your money. That's all they're doing, because it ends. You know why? We don't need miracles today to demonstrate the power of Jesus Christ, we have the New Testament. Once you get the New Testament, you don't need all that. I'm not saying none ever occur. I mean, I, I guess in third world countries, I'm not saying God doesn't do the miraculous. I didn't say that. Don't hear me, see, don't hear me wrong. I'm saying we don't do the miraculous. Benny Hinn don't do the miraculous. The miracle is that people listen to that clown and while he takes all their money. That's the miracle. Who dumb people are. If you could do that, why wouldn't you just do it all the time? That's what they did. If I could heal you, why do I only heal you when you give me money? I mean, they, look what it says. They were doing signs and wonders. None of the, it says none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high court. After the two people dropped dead, if you weren't a follower of Jesus, you didn't associate. Verse 14, all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to the number to such extent that they even carried the sick out in the streets and laid them on the cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, his shadow might fall on any of them and they would be healed. I mean, if you have that power, why wouldn't you always do it like they did? Because you, my friend, are fraud. Like I said, God does miracles. Not everything. By the way, there's the distinction between God working and doing a miracle. God works in everything, all right? I remember in Bridgeport, there was a couple about to have a divorce. They separated. They came back together, a young couple. And the mother of one of them said, it's a miracle. And I want to say, no, it's not. People get back together all the time. Lost people. Atheists separate and get back together. If you want to tell me it was God working in their life, I'm 1,000% with you. Don't tell me it was a miracle. A miracle is when God intervenes into the laws of nature and does what is impossible. Like when a two-year-old boy who's supposed to have heart surgery because there's a hole in his heart and it's always had it and they've had surgeries to see the hole. Like when the time for the surgery comes and the hole in his heart is healed and the doctor says, I have no explanation other than something that was a miracle that only God could have done. That's a miracle. That I know has happened. And if the doctor is going to give away any credit and not take it for themselves, that is also a miracle. <laughs> 
Any doctors, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> Nothing personal, you know. Also, the people from the cities and the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were being healed. In other words, what they're saying is they're bringing people from everywhere that's coming. So, get this. Now, this is going on. This is a summer. It's going over, summer. It's going over a period of time. Out in the temple, preaching, healing, great numbers. Once again, we saw earlier, great numbers are coming to Jesus. It's growing. Jews are coming to Christ. You know, people from all over are coming. And so, the next verse but the high priest rose up, along with all his associates, Caiaphas and that family. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. And all the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. Notice, not the Jewish ruling council, not the scribes and Pharisees, the high priest, his family, and the Sadducees. And they were filled with jealousy. Why? Well... For one thing, the apostles, these guys, followers of Jesus, weren't, didn't listen to them. They told them to stop doing it. They kept doing it. Secondly, as we'll see, in, um, I think next week we'll see it, when they preached, their message was, you killed him, Caiaphas, Sadducees, you killed Jesus. God raised him back. They would say, quit saying we did that. And they're like, but you did it. How can you say, quit telling us we killed Jesus when you killed him? God raised him back to life, which is something the Pharisees would have struck with them. And they were jealous because they were so popular. People hated the Sadducees. The average person hated the Sadducees. They couldn't stand them. They had no say in the matter. The Pharisees, some of the, like we'll see next week, a really good Pharisee named Gamaliel. There were Pharisees like Nicodemus and Joseph Arimathea that loved people. People loved them. There were plenty of Pharisees like that. There no, there's no record of any Sadducee ever coming to Christ. None. So it says, they laid hands on the apostles, put them in public, all the apostles, got home, put them in jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and he took them out and said, now, here it is, the word angel is, you know, angelos. It, 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 it's a word that means messenger. Uangelizomai, um, which is preaching the gospel. The word angel is in there. It's, it's messenger, preach the message. Um, some think that it could have been just someone from the palace guard or somebody who was a messenger coming to release them or whatever. But the way, the way Luke writes it, and there's another instance later on, it's most likely to be taken that it was an angel of God. Now, there again, don't get carried away thinking that, you know, there are angels coming to prisons to let people loose. I don't think that happens. This is a very, the book of Acts has very unique things that happened in the first century that are not normative to this. I say this all the time. When you see angels, people just get all excited because it means something about angels and we try to translate into our life said this a thousand times. I have the Holy Spirit within me. He is working in my life. He leads me and guides me. Angels do not lead and guide. And the angelic doing the things they did in Acts, just like the miracles, it's not normative today. Because the Holy Spirit works through people. 
I'm not saying there's never a time that God does anything with the angelic. I don't know enough about angels. Nobody does. There are guys who've written all sorts of books about angels. Most of what they write, nah. And so don't get all caught up in that. In this case, it's important. Yes, I believe with all my heart that God did this with an angel. I believe with all my heart, if he wants to do it, he can. Again, I'm not going to say he doesn't. I'm going to say in your life and my life, the Holy Spirit. I, mean, listen, I look at it this way. I, I have the Holy Spirit. I want him to lead me. I don't really want an angel to guide me. Because they don't have the world's greatest track record. They just don't. But God is perfect in everything. Having said that, this angel said, go and, this is, I love this, go stand and speak to the people in the temple, the whole message of this life. That is Jesus. So I want you to go back to the temple. You just got arrested last night. Go back and just start preaching again. And upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. They went right back in the morning, you know. Now, when the high priest and his associates came and they called the council, this is the whole Jewish ruling council, which is Sadducees and Pharisees, mostly Sadducees, in the synod of the sons of Israel and sent orders to the prison house for them to be brought. But the officers who came did not find them in the prison and returned and ported back, saying, We found the prison house locked quite securely and the guards standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. So it's the, everything's locked. There ain't nobody there. Now when the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them as to what come this. So the captain of the temple guard, I mean, you understand, if you, you're in charge of the, uh, the prison and the prisoners escaped. Back then it was your life was forfeited. And so the captain of the temple guard is pretty concerned that these 11, 12 guys got out. But someone came and reported to them, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. So here's, here's the thing. They have been told repeatedly to stop doing this. We're going to see it next week that they're going to tell them, don't do this anymore. And they're going to say, we obey God, not you. And from this passage in several in Acts, it's where I get the understanding that sometimes we have to tell authority, no, we're not going to do what you tell me to do. If what you tell me to do is against God. Now, I know it's popular to whip over to Romans 13. Now, I love Romans 13. But one of these days, when you read all that in Romans 13 about civil authorities, and that's all good stuff, I believe it. Read the very last verse, the very last sentence. And it says, Paul writes, so, you know what he says? He says, so pay your taxes. Because that's what he's talking about. The problem is always about, do we pay taxes? And all of a sudden, he says, yeah, pay your taxes. Pay your taxes. All of you should pay your taxes. I hate taxes. I really wish you didn't have to do that. But we pay them. Now, there's a lot of good stuff in there that Paul writes in, in, in Romans 13 about the civil authorities are there. And, and, and we should obey them 
on the things the civil authority has right to tell you. Like they have the right to tell you how fast you should drive. They do have that right. And I recognize that right. And I, I, I recognize the right very much so. And so if there's, but I don't necessarily have the ability to follow that. That's not, I'm, I'm wrong. You're wrong when we speed, we're wrong. And they have the right to have certain types of laws in place. They do. But they never have the right to tell us how to worship or how to conduct our faith ever. Now, it's easy in America because we're not being persecuted. But when you live in a part of the world where they kill Christians or put you in jail, that's hard. And I'm, I told you all this when we're doing the COVID thing. I, I'm amazed that we abandon the call to worship because people might get mad at us and say mean things about us in social media. And civil authorities might throw a temper tantrum. When people go through that every day of their life with the threat of death. And I never understood that mindset. Sometimes we tell authority, you're wrong. No. You just do it. Because I'm going to follow God. And... You know what's amazing, and I've, we share this talk about this a lot, is how often God just takes care of those who follow him. Now, sometimes people die. The history of Christianity is the history of believers dying for their faith at the hands of those who persecute them. That's why we should always be against persecution. That's why no matter if it's Israel, and if it, Israel, if the Jews were doing this to the Arabs, we would be against, we should be against the Jews. If Israel was doing this and going into Syria or, or wherever and taking them and doing those types of things, we should be against that. If America did it, we should be against that. And when I'm military and I love our military and I have some close friends in the military, and, and when, but when they do atrocities, they have to be held accountable for it. But as a follower of Jesus, we always do what the Lord tells us to do. And they went out and they preached and taught. And it says the captain went along with the officials to bring them back without violence. For they were afraid of the people that they might be stoned. You realize the Jewish leaders were afraid, not just of the Christians, of the masses. Can you imagine? You're afflicted with something. And you're not a follower of Jesus. But these guys can heal you. And so you're going, it's your chance, one chance in all of life to be healed. And the guys healing you are being led away in chains by the Jewish religious leaders who care nothing about you. These guys care enough about you to heal you. And the Jewish religious leaders are taking them away. How easy it would have been for Peter and John and all those guys, even the apostles whose names we don't even remember, to incite the crowds. We have a faith that changes the lives of people. There are people who don't know Jesus, who need Jesus so very much. And we have the message that changes their life. And to think about the suffering they have emotionally and spiritually, the struggles. And you and I have the message that can change their life. 
We need to get that message to them. It is not, the church is not for Christians. The church is for the lost. The church is not a building, it's us. We are here, not just for one another. Now, right now, you're probably all believers, and we're here to learn and grow. I got it. Some of you are here because you dumped your kids off, and you got to go someplace, so you just said, I'll just come here. Why not? There are some that go outside and talk. That's fine. I don't care. You know, they're missing out on what songs that will change their life, but that's their problem. But we exist together to worship, ultimately, because the people that aren't a part of us need us. They need us. And we can't let anyone keep us or deter us from sharing the gospel. Ever. Especially ourselves. Because the problem with most churches is the reason they don't reach anyone is their own blooming fault. It's their fault. They don't reach people.